This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles. Go with me, if you would, please into the New Testament to the gospel according to Mark in the 16th chapter. And we have been uh, looking together in the gospel according to Mark for a number of weeks and months. And we're coming to the end. And as we come uh, to the final chapter here on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're dealing with the subject of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I cannot think of a more fitting topic for us to arrive at on a day like today when uh, two of our church family have gone to be with the Lord. I just looked at some notes I have, and uh, nine of our church family members have gone to be with the Lord in 2020. It began with Betty Hedrick on the very first day of uh, January, and uh, we uh, love our church, and we miss those who uh, have gone on to heaven, but we're grateful that we know where they are, and all of us who know the Lord are on our journey to join them. And as we come to Mark chapter number 16, uh, we see the important and significant event uh, that secured uh, our, our hope in heaven. We begin reading in verse number one. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. I want us to pray together. Lord, we pray as we enter into your presence and we come around your word that you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would enable us uh, to receive your word and may it minister to us and may it produce in our heart fruit. May we be drawn to you and strengthened and encouraged. We pray for those who may be with us this morning and do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They do not have assurance that heaven is their home. 
or that there is life beyond this life and beyond the grave. I pray that you would speak to them today. Speak to all of your children that we might be witnesses of, of your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the phrase we find in verse number six. It is the message which uh, the angel delivered. We know it was an angel because of the gospel records telling us so. Uh, But the Bible says that when the angel spoke in verse six, he said, be not affrighted, don't be afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. I want to speak to you on the subject. He is risen this morning. He is risen. The gospel that Mark has recorded for us here and that we've studied for many, many weeks is a gospel of action. It reveals to us the acts, the deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ as uh, he is portrayed here as the servant. Uh, We see in this gospel the Lord's power to heal disease, to drive out demons, to restore sight to the blind, to give hearing to those who are deaf, to speak to the winds and the waves and command them to be still, uh, to raise the dead. And finally, here in Mark 16, uh, we see uh, the greatest of all miracles in his power uh, over death as he comes out of the tomb and out of the grave and out of death into life everlasting. And this resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus is what demonstrates for us his power over death. It verifies all of the claims of his divinity. And of course, Mark has given us a great record concerning not only his claims, but his deeds. Uh, Throughout his earthly life and ministry, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples the truth concerning his death upon the cross. He he sought to teach them and prepare them uh, for his coming death, but they did not comprehend it. Remember, they were looking for a deliverer who would deliver them uh, from the oppression of Rome. And so as he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his earthly ministry in John chapter 2 and verse number 18, uh, after cleansing the temple, uh, the, the crowd gathered around him and they demanded to know uh, what authority he had to do those things that he had done in cleansing the temple, driving out the money changers. And so the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which he had said. You see, in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I will raise it up again. He wasn't speaking of the building. He was speaking of his body. And his critics used that statement against him. In fact, false witnesses came forward at the end to say that that was Jesus' plan all along to destroy the temple. Uh, But they were lying, of course. And the disciples, though they heard this time and time again throughout the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, they did not get it. But after his resurrection, looking back on it with perspective, they understood what he was saying. 
That's easy for us to do oftentimes, isn't it? To look back with perspective, but in the moment, not understanding, and then afterwards, have understanding. You see, and we see that the Lord Jesus, uh, again, continually throughout the scriptures, let me just give you a few references. In John chapter 6, verse number 40, uh, he speaks of the fact of his resurrection from the dead. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, uh, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Again, in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34, the Lord Jesus clearly lays out for them that he would be delivered to the Gentiles. He would be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted upon. He said in verse 33, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. In verse 34, and they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. You see, though he prepared them time and time again that he was going to the cross, this is my purpose, he said, to go to the cross, to suffer and bleed and die, and on the third day I will arise from the dead. But as they watched these events transpire, it was shocking to them to see him die upon the cross, to see his body lowered off the cross and carried into the garden tomb. They were horrified by that. The, the hopes and dreams that they had in Christ uh, for those few days seemed to be dashed. Their heart was filled with sorrow and suffering. But then the Bible tells us that on the first day of the week after the Sabbath, these women who had witnessed his death upon the cross now were coming to the tomb to anoint his body. I want you to notice three things with me this morning as we consider this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter number 16. First of all, we're going to see the anxiety at the tomb. The anxiety. Then secondly, we're going to consider the announcement at the tomb. And then finally, the amazement at the tomb. I want us to notice, first of all, the anxiety at the tomb. The Bible says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, these women who had witnessed the death of Christ were not able to anoint his body. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and, and Joseph begged the body of Jesus and Pilate gave it to him. Nicodemus, meanwhile, was purchasing the spices and the oils for the anointing of his body, and they lowered his body from the cross, and they took his body to the tomb of Joseph, and they placed his body there, and they, uh, they wrapped his body in the linen cloth and anointed his body with oil. The women could not approach that uh, tomb. They, there was no time for that to be done. The Sabbath was approaching, and so what had to be done had to be done quickly. But they watched from a distance to find out where he was buried, and no doubt they were relieved to see the Lord Jesus' body placed in that tomb and buried. 
They could not go on the Sabbath, and so they awaited to the first day of the week, and they were hoping to get into the tomb to anoint him. Here was an expression of their love. Here was an expression of their devotion to him to go into the tomb and to, to anoint his body with these oils and these spices uh, in order in, in, in some way to deaden the smell of the decomposition of his body. But I want you to know his body was not decomposing. Now, along the way, they were concerned about what would happen to the stone. A great stone sealed that tomb. It was rolled over that tomb, and, and it would require uh, a lot of help and a lot of strength. And they were hoping that someone would be there to help roll the stone away. They had no assurance that that would happen. But nevertheless, because of their duty, because of their devotion, they moved forward. Perhaps they were hoping some of the disciples, some of the men would be there to help them. But ladies, you can, you can really identify with this group because anytime you need a man to help, they're nowhere to be found. But I admire their persistence, don't you? They're going on anyway. They're concerned, they're anxious about it. Their Savior Mary Magdalene, the one who was delivered from seven demons, their Savior has suffered and died. And he's placed in that tomb. And there's nothing they could do for him. And so this is all there is left for them to do, to go to the tomb and anoint his body. But how will we get in, they thought, because the stone is there. Think of the anxiety that filled their hearts. Here they are processing all that they had seen, wondering what would become of all that they had thought and believed as far as uh, the teaching of the Lord Jesus and all that they had seen him do, his mighty works and his mighty deeds. But now he's dead. Imagine their sorrow. Imagine their disappointment. And they come to the tomb and they find the stone is rolled away. They go inside, and they find his body's not there. Now, immediately before hearing the explanation of where his body is, think again of the anxiety of that moment. Now they can't even find his body. The one thing they thought they could do, they cannot do, because he is not there. It really isn't hard for us to identify with the anxiety of these women, is it? Especially when we have carried our loved ones to the grave. Many of you have been there more times than you could wish. Some of you have yet to go there, but one day you will. And you will experience the amazing grace of God. Not only as we think of our loved ones that we've carried to the grave, but when we consider the prospect of our own death, it brings anxiety to our hearts. Waves of fear and sorrow often overwhelm us. Death is a source of great anxiety. It is one of the few certainties of life. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You know, death is imminent. One out of every one die. Nobody escapes it. It's imminent, it's inescapable, and it's irreversible. But we live in a world that is filled with death. We're reminded on a daily basis 
how many people have died from the coronavirus. Uh, We're told and taught to fear death. If we survive coronavirus, then global warming is looming around the corner. And if that's not enough, there's every other disease known to man and every other circumstance that could come to us, whether it be an accident on the roadway or a sudden uh, heart attack, whatever it could be, uh, we are surrounded by the reality of death and the fear of death. But few people are really willing to confront that fact. Christopher Hitchens, who was an atheist uh, and was diagnosed with terminal cancer and eventually died, wrote in his memoir, Hitch 22, he said, the clear awareness of having been born into a losing struggle. He called life a losing struggle. Why did he call it that? Because he lived with the reality that everybody was going to die. He said, it need not lead one into despair. I do not especially like the idea that one day I shall be tapped on the shoulder and informed, not that the party is over, speaking of life as a party, not that the party is over, but that it is most assuredly going on only henceforth in my absence. In other words, I'm leaving, but the world is going to keep moving on. People will still live. He goes on to say, much more horrible, though, would be the announcement that the party was continuing forever and that I was forbidden to leave. Whether it was a hellishly bad party or a party that was perfectly heavenly in every respect, the moment that it became eternal and compulsory would be the precise moment that it began to pall or it began to decay and it began to be gloomy. You see, Hitchens' view of eternity was that really once life is over on earth, it's over. But he got it wrong. He rejected the message of the gospel, and he went out into eternity without trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, he was right. He was tapped on the shoulder, and he was removed from the scene, and life goes on. But life where Hitchens is, if he believed all that he said he believed, if he rejected Jesus, the Bible tells us that he went to a Christless eternity into an awful place called hell. And he will be there for eternity. It is in the reality of that that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped in to appear for us. At the time of our appointment, we don't know when that time is, by the way, but at that time, he steps in for us to deliver us from this anxiety of the grave. I read an interesting article this week. It was recorded in 2019 in The Republic. You can find it on AZ, that's Arizona, azcentral.com. The reporter is Stephanie Ennis, and Stephanie writes... Uh, concerning uh, the hope that people may live beyond the grave. She tells us, inside a Scottsdale office building are the heads and bodies of 168 people who have been cryonically preserved with the hope that death will not be permanent. One of the most famous occupants at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation is baseball legend Ted Williams whose head and body are stored separately 
inside large cylindrical stainless steel tanks at the foundation's offices. The nonprofit company houses 168 patients and 90 pets who have died but are being preserved at sub-zero temperatures in a way that may allow them to be revived and one day live again. Alcor considers its patients as not dead, but rather in a suspended, in-between state. The company has 1,250 still living members who have made the legal arrangements and paid up to $200,000 apiece to reserve a spot in one of Alcor's thermos-like tanks when they die. Alcor insists that they do not want to mislead the public into thinking that they have a guaranteed ticket to the future after they die. One said, it is an engineering problem as far as how to make it happen. We want people to understand that this is still an experimental process. People are torn between the dilemma of preserving their entire body or just their head because as their body grows older, they certainly don't want to return to life in that body. The article goes on to explain to us. Many Alcor members specify the age they'd like to be when they come back to life. And 25 is probably the most popular, said Chamberlain, whose husband, mother, and father-in-law are all cryo-preserved uh, at Alcor. Looking at the progress of medical technology just over the last 50 years, it is more of a question of when than if, Chamberlain said. It's been a part of my life for the past 47 years. I can't really imagine not doing this for myself and my family. I enjoy life and I don't want it to end. And so instead of trusting Jesus, the one who conquered death, the one who gives life, they would rather pay $200,000 to have their bodies frozen in the hopes that one day technology will be discovered that will bring them back to life. And if they don't like the body they had, technology can grow them a new body and their head and their body can be joined together. You see, this is the world's answer to death. But I'm glad God has provided the true answer. And we see it in verse 5 with the announcement at the tomb. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a white in a long white garment. Now, we know from the gospel records that this is not just simply a young man. He appeared to them as a young man, but this is not just a young man. This is an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God. And he scared them. They were affrighted. would have scared you and I. Walking into a tomb would have scared us enough. And he saith unto them, be not affrighted. Don't be afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth. I know why you're here. You're looking for the Lord Jesus. He was crucified, but I have some good news for you. He's not dead. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Peter, the one who betrayed him, uh, the, the angels with, with, with great specificity says, go tell the disciples and don't forget to tell Peter especially. 
Peter, who no doubt was filled with all sorts of guilt and, 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 and the weight of his betrayal of Christ, the disappointment and the despair, God answers that and he says, go tell Peter that he is not here, that he is risen from the dead. What an announcement. It was an announcement that changed everything. For the last several months, it seems like all we've heard about is disease and death and division and politics and, you know, it's like the old song they used to sing. Ann Murray, I think, popularized it. We sure could use a little good news today. Well, we could, couldn't we? Well, we got it in a tomb 2,000 years ago. An announcement came. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go tell his disciples and Peter. And there, he says in verse 7, there shall ye see him. <laughs> I think about Brother Dustman in the hospital on the phone with me the other night. I'm ready to go see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. There shall you see him. Now, this was an announcement that changed everything. By the way, those announcements had been coming for 4,000 years. We go back to the garden, not to a tomb, but to the Garden of Eden where God created everything. And he placed man there in that garden. But man sinned against God. And when he sinned, he was separated from God immediately. The voice of the Lord came coming to them in the garden, and Adam hid himself because he knew that he was naked. Adam sinned against God, and it caused a breach in the fellowship uh, that he had enjoyed. It brought death into his life. But as the Lord spoke in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 15, he said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent here. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. This is the first mention, the first promise of the coming of the Messiah. It shall bruise thy head, he said. The seed of the woman will, will, will bruise the head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he crushed the head of the devil. That promise was reinforced in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3 when the Lord giving further revelation concerning the seed of the woman said, it will be through the seed of Abraham. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 49 and verse number 10, uh, when Jacob is blessing his sons, God gives further revelation, not just that this this son will come through the seed of Abraham, but he will be a descendant of Judah. He said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Again, here's the reminder that the Messiah is coming, an announcement that he is coming. In Psalm 132, verse 11, he gives further revelation. Not only will the seed come through the, the tribe of Judah, but it will come through the lineage of David the king. In Psalm 132, 11, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David. 
he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I sit upon thy throne. He will be the son of David. Not just the son of Abraham, not just the son of Judah, but the son of David. His birth was foretold in the, in the book of Isaiah when the prophet said in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. His mother will be a virgin. In Luke chapter one, in verse number 33, the Bible says that an angel of the Lord came and spoke to a virgin. Her name was Mary, and he said to her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, Mary's a virgin, espoused to a man named Joseph. So what does the angel do? He goes to Joseph. And he says to Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then when he is born, what does he do? He sends the angelic host, God does, to the shepherds in the field. And he appears to them at night. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9 came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see, throughout all of history, they had been hearing that he was coming. And now they heard he had come. In fact, when Jesus himself uh, met the Samaritan woman at the well, she said to him in John 4, 25, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Oh, we've been hearing about this for 4,000 years. He said, oh, yes, and I am him, and I am here. And those women believed that. And then they watched him as he died. But then they heard the message of the angel, the announcement, when he said, he's risen. It didn't end the other day on the cross. It's only just beginning. And it didn't end for our loved ones the day that they died, if they died in Jesus. It was just beginning. It's the announcement at the tomb. The announcement that changed everything. And the women left the tomb. And what were they to do? They were to go make the announcement. And the disciples, when they saw Jesus, what were they told to do? Go make the announcement. And what did they do? They went into the streets of Jerusalem and preached the gospel and numbers came to know the Lord as their savior. But they didn't stop there. 
They went into the region of Judea and into Samaria and eventually to the uttermost part of the earth. And what did they do there? They made the announcement. And today we have heard the announcement. And what is our responsibility? To declare the announcement. And there's never been a time in my life when the world needs to hear the announcement more than I believe they need to hear it today. And so may God help us to make the announcement. Maybe you've never heard it before. Today you're hearing it for the first time. What is the announcement? That Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth and suffered and bled and died for you. He took your sin and your death upon himself. He went to the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again. And if you will put your faith in him, if you believe in him and confess to him that he's the son of God, he will save you, and he will give you everlasting life. What a glorious announcement. That's a pretty important announcement, isn't it? When you're sitting in the hospital room, and the nurse has come in, and she has said, your father's going to have to go to hospice. There's no more treatments. There's no more therapies. There's no more blood transfusions. Death is imminent. When you hear that and you're filled with anxiety, rejoice in the announcement that he is risen. When you go to the bedside, or as today when people can't get to the bedside and you hear your loved ones laboring and they're breathing and then you realize that faintly, without you even noticing it, it stopped. And they're gone. Where are they? Jesus. And we'll spend more time in the future with our loved ones than we've ever had an opportunity to spend with them on this earth. And we'll spend it with them in the absence of sin and the absence of sorrow and the absence of tears and the absence of death and in the presence of Jesus. What a glorious, glorious announcement. He is not here. That points us to the third thought. That is the amazement at the tomb. The Bible says, and they went out quickly. 
and fled from the sepulcher. They, they ran out of there, not because they were afraid like they were in a horror movie. No. Their bodies are energized with emotion and adrenaline. Why? Because they've heard something that is startling to them. It's overwhelming to them. Remember now, they've been through the entire range of emotion from hope and joy to despair and sorrow, and now to hear this news. He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. What was there? The linen cloth that had wrapped his body that was drenched and soaked in those oils that they had anointed his body. Those cloths were there. The napkin folded where his head was, but he wasn't. And the reality of that and the significance of that began to dawn upon them, and they're, they're beginning to try to process this. And they've been commissioned to go tell the disciples. And so the Bible says they, they run out of there, and they trembled and were amazed. They were overwhelmed. Anxiety and fear was transformed into amazement and faith. Amazed by his power to conquer death. Amazed by all the brutality and the suffering that they had witnessed and how that he could be alive after such a thing. Amazed by the joy that flooded their soul and dispelled all of their sorrow. Amazed that their despair had given way to hope, the hope that they were going to see him again. Amazed by the peace which sustained them in those moments. You see, all the prophecies, all the miracles, all of it, verified by his resurrection. It's an amazing thing. They said in 2017, 325,000 people visited the garden tomb. I wonder how they left. These ladies left amazed. I think sometimes in the grind of life and in the routine, we lose amazement. But then Jesus allows us to deal with some things, some trials, some tribulations. And in those moments, we have an opportunity yet again to be amazed by him. Oh, that God would help us to live in the awe of who he is, to understand that we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to understand to whom it is that we belong and where it is that we will spend eternity. And I think that would help us get through the monotonous and mundane and get back to the glory. That it would rekindle in our hearts that grow cold a love for Jesus that we so desperately need. And so may God help us to hear the announcement. He is risen. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to ask you today to come to him, receive his offer of salvation, receive that eternal life that he purchased for you. We have people here who will take a Bible and show you from the word of God how that you could be saved. 
I want to encourage you to do it today. Don't spend another day in the path of death when you can come into life. Maybe today you say, I've just been encouraged by this news and I need to thank the Lord again. I want to encourage you as we sing in just a moment. You come to the altar, make it a place of prayer, a place of thanksgiving. And if we've lost that wonder and amazement, if we somehow feel ourselves beaten down by the despair of sin or of this life and this world, may God help us to understand who it is that we are in Christ and what he has purchased for us. May God fill our hearts with wonder and amazement for him. And may he put in us a passion to go out and make the announcement time and time again. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.